The reading today is taken from John chapter 12, starting at verse 1. Jesus anointed at Bethany. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about half a litre of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put inside it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Amen. Over the past uh, months, we've been working through uh, the Gospel of John. Gospel is a sort of old-fashioned word that means good news. And John tells us that he has written this book specifically to explain to us the good news about Jesus. At the end of the Gospel, he says, you know, there were so many things that Jesus said and did that I, I couldn't possibly have, have written them all down, but I've chosen these things. Because if you, if you understand them and if you believe them, you have life through faith in Christ. In the reading today, we find ourselves in a situation that was filled with tension and anger. People who write novels and screenplays, they like that kind of scenario. Anger and bitterness bubbling away under the surface. Family members losing their temper with each other. Guests looking on in sort of slight embarrassment at the collapse of the occasion. It's like Christmas at family time, isn't it? Maybe that's just us. I don't know if you've ever found yourself involved in something like that. But it can be really difficult. Sometimes people simply ignore it and pretend that it's it's not happening. Sometimes those involved storm off in opposite directions, leaving people behind to wonder not only what on earth has happened, but what on earth they should do now. A shared meal should really be a time for support and friendship, not of destruction and violence. The irony of this scene is that Jesus really needs his followers to be united. We read in the previous chapter that people are trying to kill him. And you would have thought that his friends would have had the decency to stick with him, to stick together and support him through that. Right at that important point where we find that he needs them. They're not really there. It's a very obvious confrontation between Judas and Mary. 
There's also Mary and Martha, though, to consider. We've, we've met them before. They were in the previous chapter, and they also appear in Luke chapter 10. And what we read about them tells us so much, and, and we know a lot more about them um, that, than lots of the other characters that are mentioned in the Gospels, even of some of the 12 disciples that Jesus chose. We only know some of their names, but they're never mentioned other than that. Have you ever been to one of those parties or the meals, those occasions where somebody says something truly outrageous to the point where you think, what? What? How on earth could you? What? I've been to some of them. <laughs> something so offensive that the conversation stops. Well, that's kind of what happened at this meal. Martha has, yet again, been busy. She's made the food. She's, she's prepared the meal. And she's ready to serve it for Jesus and his friends. And somehow Mary again manages to steal the limelight. Not this time, as you read and look, simply by sitting and listening to Jesus while Martha did all the work. Here she does something outrageous. Something appalling. Something amazing. She wipes Jesus' feet with her hair and her tears. She takes this really expensive perfume and uses it to anoint him. As Kirstine said, she must have let her hair down. She must have or, or taken a head covering off in order to use it. Think of what's happening in Iran at the moment. The protests that there are over hair. Over, over a woman showing her hair in public. That's the kind of thing that we're talking about. That, that's the scandal that's happening 2,000 years ago. Or maybe imagine you've invited your guests to dinner and one of the ladies comes in their lingerie and nothing else. Well, it would get a reaction, certainly. Has she no shame? What on earth is she doing? What does she think this is? How on earth? All these thoughts flying around heads of people who were there. And perhaps the tension in the room was made worse by the knowledge that actually there were people plotting to kill Jesus. But imagine how Martha felt. <laughs> Do you know? That's my sister. What is she thinking? What? Yeah, what is she doing? Maybe she really thought 
that Mary had lost it this time. But it was Judas who came out and said it. The others looked on, probably equally embarrassed by Mary's behavior and her extravagance. But it's Judas who says, what on earth is, why are we letting this happen? How could you? How could you take this perfume and, and, and waste it? I don't know what you earn in a year. Different amounts for different people, I'm sure. But imagine that in a bottle of perfume, whatever it is. And somebody comes along and breaks it. On Jesus' feet. Really? Most of us looking on would perhaps have sided with Martha over Mary. I mean, the thing is, if, if Mary hadn't done it, there would, there would have been no embarrassment. There would have been no awkwardness. There would, there would be no tension there. It would just have been a nice meal that they could have spent together listening to Jesus talk. That, oh, that would have been great. And all of a sudden, everything's in its head because this stupid woman. Judas, we are told, didn't actually care about the poor. He was siphoning money from the account. And as Kirsten said, Jesus didn't react the way they expected him. And what he says actually is kind of difficult to understand. The suggestion is that Mary's been keeping this expensive perfume specifically for this moment. For this moment when Jesus needs his followers to be united and are not. For this moment when she understands something about what's going to happen, even although it hasn't happened yet. You see, in the previous chapter, Caiaphas, the high priest, had said, you don't realize that it's better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. There's a prophetic word, if ever you heard one, and he didn't, he didn't mean it the way that it actually ended up. Caiaphas says more than he knows. And it may be that Mary is acting out more than she knows or understands. Her act of love is a prophetic statement about the fact that before too long, Jesus is going to be buried. And maybe buried so hastily that there's not going to be time to properly anoint his body. And so here's the opportunity. And she's going to take it. On the other hand, there's also the suggestion that maybe she should keep some that's still in the jar. Because she's going to have the opportunity to go to anoint his body. It doesn't happen because his body's not there. Jesus really saying, even if she hadn't just used it, it would have been appropriate to use it to anoint his body in death. It's quite an astonishing statement from Jesus, given the importance that he places on the poor and the kingdom blessings that he says are going to come to the poor. I think the explanation to that is that Jesus believed that his coming death would be the action through which the world as a whole 
including the world of poverty and all that goes along with it, would be made right. Of course, we who live on this side of his death and resurrection clearly still find a world of poverty, of crippling debt, and all of the evils that follow them. I suppose we might wonder if the church has always got its priorities right. But there's no escaping the challenge that is posed by that standoff between Mary and Judas. It's one of those scenes that screams at us as we read, where are you in the picture? Are you with the cautious, prudent, and reliable Judas? Because that's how he must have seemed to most of them looking on on that occasion. He's been looking after the meager resources of the group without a steady income, anxious to provide for their needs and still have something to give to the poor. We need to put aside our natural inclination to distance ourselves from Judas because we know what happened later. But at that point, none of the disciples understood what he was going to do or what he was actually like. So to them, what he said seemed sensible and right and proper. Do you see a glimpse of him as you look in the mirror? I want to be clear. We are told to be wise with the resources, but we're also told to be cheerful givers. We are told to count the cost of things and also to give generously. Of course, they were thinking of financial cost, but we also have to give of our time and our talents. So is there something that you link with Judas there? Or are you with the shameless Mary, worshipping Jesus with everything she's got, risking the anger of her sister who's doing all the work again, the anger of the men who perhaps don't quite trust their own feelings when a woman quite literally lets her hair down in public, or the sneer of the person who knows the price of everything and the value of nothing? Why are you here this morning? Are you here to meet friends and share fellowship? Well, that's good. Are you here because that's what you do on a Sunday? Yeah, that's okay. Are you here because you're on duty and you have to be? It's good that we have people who will be on the door, who will do the AV and who will um, lead worship. I did ask them this morning, though. When you're doing that, are you worshipping? And the answer was no. Because you're thinking about other things. You're thinking about the words. You're thinking about the tunes. You're thinking about when do I need to move this lot on? What camera am I going to use? I'm thinking about have I said the right thing? Have I done the right thing? Who am I going to annoy now? What, you know, there's all sorts of stuff going on that takes your focus away from Jesus. So, so those of us who are involved in activities on a Sunday morning often don't find ourselves in a place of worship. And so we need to find other times during the week that we can do that. But for for those of you who are here and not like that, why are you here? Are you here to worship Jesus? And how does that affect you? 
Sometimes, you know, I, I would like to, to put my hands up when I'm singing, and I don't. Partly because I don't want you to be looking at me thinking, who on earth is he and what's he doing? I, I, I don't want the focus to be on me. So in future, I might just go and stand down there with everybody else and then nobody will notice. Right? I remember Kenny Borthwick, who was our minister, telling a story. We were at clan gathering and the, the music was playing and Kenny felt God saying to him, Kenny, I want you to lie down on the, on the ground. And he went, well, God, really, come on. What are people going to think if I did that? God said, Kenny, I want you to lie down on the ground. And I want you to pray. And he went, God, I can't, I can't, can't do that. And there was this wee kind of internal dialogue going on between Kenny and God. And eventually God said, well, Kenny, that's okay. If you choose to miss out what I have for you. And Kenny got down on the ground. And he did it because he said, I wanted everything that God had for me. And at some point we have to choose. Is it more important to us what other people think? Or is it more important what God thinks? Mary came with a perfume. And she couldn't care less what the other people thought. So when we come to worship, if you want to put your hands up or out or in, if you want to dance, if you want to sway gently, if you want to stand perfectly still, whatever you want to do, you do it between you and God. And don't let anybody else put you off. When we come, we come to worship Jesus because he is the only one who is worthy of our praise and our adoration.